everybody. It's Ted Keith, Senior Editor for College Basketball at SI.com, and it's time for another edition of Tourney Talk. Joining me live from Houston, Texas, is my co-host, David Gardner. David, you're not here. This is ridiculous. I'm not here. It's so strange. It's so strange. I don't like to be far away from you during the NCAA tournament, Ted, but duty has called. Duty has called. Uh, Gardner drew the uh, the uh, funny or, or the, the non-fuzzy side of the lollipop, I guess. I'm here in New York with uh, other duties. I have uh, opening day is officially today in Major League Baseball. Very exciting. And uh, we have a magazine. What is that? That's right. Major League Baseball has opening day. It's the best day. I'm not on the, familiar with the sport. I know it's the best day on the sporting calendar, as far as I'm concerned. Monday, not this this sort of pseudo opening day we have on Sunday, but the opening day on Monday, all day baseball, followed by the national championship game in college basketball. It's my favorite sports day of the year by far. Um, we also have a magazine to close, and now only two commemorative issues left to worry about. So that's always helpful too. So uh, a busy day in New York coming up uh, this weekend. I know it was a busy day in Houston. Uh, let's get right into the early impressions from uh, semifinal Saturday, one of the great days in sports. Um, I don't know exactly what the word is for what Villanova did to Oklahoma, but in Texas, I think they've put people to death for less than that. So uh, a, a 44-point win, that was, that was unfriendly. That was not Southern hospitality at all right there. And then North Carolina in what constituted a nail-biter for, um, for this day's games, anyway, beat Syracuse by uh, 17 points in the nightcap. So, uh, you know, Gardner, as we've talked about many times before, you know, you and I and, and people around the country, I think, who are college basketball fans, look forward to this day and watch no matter what from opening tip to final buzzer. But I don't know if these were the games that the masses generally wanted. What was sort of the vibe uh, in NRG Stadium in Houston as uh, starting with the first game as Villanova sort of won by TKO against Oklahoma and still had about 10 minutes to go in the game? Yeah, I'm going to get my Seinfeld quote out of the way early by saying, uh, you know, what George talks about uh, is uh, they're having a conversation about one of their many relationships. And he says, if you can't say something bad about a relationship, you shouldn't say anything at all. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I was thinking about with these games. If you can't say something bad about these games, then you can't say anything at all. Uh, the crowd was really into it um, for the first half of both games. Um, I would say Oklahoma fans, they really stuck through it in a way that was better than what you would have expected, probably better than what most Fairweather fans would have done. The arena, um, they announced a crowd of 77,000, So, wow. and, and I would believe it. Um, the upper decks were filled out for much of the second game, and uh, Syracuse fans, to their credit, stuck into the end. I think everybody was excited to be there, but did not expect and certainly didn't hope for the kind of lopsided victories uh, that we saw today. One of the most interesting things, and uh, this may have made the rounds on social media by now, but um, the most interesting stat I think I saw from the night, and you can give us some more historical stuff, Ted, but uh, Villanova scored 53 points in the second half against Oklahoma. Oklahoma scored 51 points total in the game. So although Villanova scored 42 points in the first half, they could have gone scoreless. They could have sat the first half out on offense and still won no, this game. It, it's insane. I mean, I we talked about this a little bit um, in the immediate post game, but the only team that ever shot better at a Final Four in a Final Four game was Villanova in 1985 in their historic upset of Georgetown when they made 78.6%. They shot 71.4% for the game. I mean, mm-hmm. for an entire game. I mean, the crazy, like, okay, so the 85 game, 
against Georgetown. They shot 90% in the second half, but they were 9 for 10. In a 20-minute half, they took 10 shots. That's, you know, 30-second shot clock. That was the last year, by the way, before a shot clock was implemented in college basketball. Uh, this year, a 30-second shot clock, the first year we've had that, and we can all agree, for the most part, it's been great for the sport. But the opposite mm-hmm. effect was here tonight. Like, Villanova had no choice but to keep shooting. They're not going to take shot clock violations with, you know, eight minutes to go in the game, no matter what <laughs> certain coaches in the sport might have felt they should have done. Um I don't think anyone would accuse Villanova of being too good to be showboating like this, but yeah, you know, what was their choice? They had to keep playing, and someone who I watched the game with said, uh, you know, it looks like Oklahoma's given up with seven minutes to go. They still have a chance, and I tend to be a pretty optimistic fan, but you would have had to be the world's most optimistic fan in the world to think that Oklahoma had any shot once that lead got to about 20 points, and it still had 24 more points to go before it was over. I mean, just an astonishingly efficient and deadly offensive performance from the Villanova Wildcats, who, by the way, uh, and we've made this point throughout the tournament, they won their first three games in this tournament with their offense by just playing terrific basketball on the offensive end of the floor. They won their Elite Eight game with defense. Then they went back and won this game with both. They won. They were terrific on offense, and they held Oklahoma to 31% from the floor. So before we talk about Monday night and what that'll mean against North Carolina, just a moment of appreciation for a team that played probably the best complete game for 40 minutes that any team has played in this tournament so far. Yeah, it was astounding. I was talking to a couple of assistant coaches and the players in the locker room post game, and they were saying, you know, Oklahoma had a little bit of an off night, but they were taking most of the credit for what they were able to do, particularly against Buddy Heald, who took 12 shots, but only finished with nine points. They were swarming him. They were making him uncomfortable. He had a three pointer right at the beginning, but then they came back and they shut him down for much of the rest of the game. It's interesting because uh, as our colleague Luke Wynn broke down against Kansas, Villanova actually switched their defensive look about every five possessions. I'll have to go back and look and see on this tape again uh, if that's the case, but it seems like they switched a lot less often. They looked at a zone a couple times early in the first half, but uh, Oklahoma hit a couple of threes over the top of it, so they decided instead to go to a man-to-man look and one that swarmed around Oklahoma's guards because that's more of an outside-in team versus Kansas as an inside-out team. And it worked to perfection. I mean, even if Villanova didn't have such a historically good offensive shooting night, they still would have won this game based on how well they were able to calm one of the best offenses and certainly the best player offensively in college basketball. It was a as complete a performance, as complete a domination. This was like a one seed facing a 16 seed. And that's no disrespect to Oklahoma. Yeah. That's all a compliment to Villanova. No, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, we saw uh, games in this uh, tournament between ones and 16s that were not this lopsided. I mean, a 44-point blowout in the Final Four, the biggest one ever. Um, it, here's the, an amazing thing. The biggest route in championship game history is 30 points, which UNLV did to Duke in 1990. This was 30 plus another 14 I mean, this yeah. was just an enormous beatdown, and the way it snowballed, I, I said uh, at halftime to somebody, you know, well, it's, you know, it was like a, uh, I, I can't remember what it was, 14 at the break or something like that, and I said, you know, it looks like it could have been worse, but it's tough to get a good team, to beat a good team in a half by about 30 points. Well, that's effective. it was a nine-point game maybe at the half or something, but that's basically what they did in the second half. They beat them by over 30 in the second half alone. It was just, I mean, my gosh, and speaking of Buddy Heald, you know, tremendous year. I think he's a national player of the year. Um, I think we talked about this in the podcast. I didn't think it would be possible 
for him to be held to only 12 shots, and I certainly didn't think it would be possible for him to be held to only nine points, and three of them came on the first shot he took in the game. Just a terrific defensive effort. They took Oklahoma out of everything they wanted to do, and uh, if ever there was cause for overconfidence, if you're Villanova, it would be because you beat a team by 44 points and held the National Player of the Year to 16 points below his scoring average. And here's one of my favorite stats, and we I put this on Twitter earlier. This was a 67-point turnaround from when they played in December. <laughs> 67 yep. points. point loss. Yeah. That's unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable. And to me, the most impressive thing was in talking about guarding Buddy Heald. They were so confident. I think that as a team, they were locked in defensively in a way that we rarely see college basketball teams do. But as a, as a team, to a man – at the guard level, they felt like they were able to guard uh, Buddy Heald. And you'd have to go back and see how many guys switched off onto Buddy during the course of the game. But off the top of my head, I would say that I saw Phil Booth, Ryan Archidiacono, Josh Hart, Mikhail Bridges, and Chris Jenkins on him at one point or another. So it wasn't even just like they put the best defender in college basketball or even their best defender on the team on him. They were just so confident to a man in their health defense and in their recovery that they wouldn't let him get comfortable, and they were right. They didn't have to put one guy on him. They put a team effort against him, and that's what ultimately created this route. Yeah, no question. So uh, Villanova looking uh, as good. Uh, you know, they've had as the toughest road you could possibly have to get to this game. I mean, they beat a two in Oklahoma instead of a one, but uh, a two that had beaten a one to get here. So they've been tested every time they've stepped on the court by really the toughest team they could have possibly faced and uh, there's going to be no tougher team for them left than North Carolina, who is the number two seed overall in the tournament, a number one seed in their region. Uh, let's talk about the Tar Heels win over Syracuse real quick. North Carolina could not buy a three-point basket. I've never seen a disparity quite like this. 0% at the half from three-point range, 68% from two-point range, which was in keeping in some ways with what they did against Notre Dame in the Elite Eight when they shot 72% from two-point range for the entire game, but they sprinkled in some three-pointers throughout that one. Did it feel like it was only a matter of time before Carolina would hit some threes and totally put this game away, or did it feel like Syracuse was hanging around ready for another comeback upset like they pulled off against Virginia in the Elite Eight? No, I think if you were a Syracuse fan at the end of the first half or if you were a North Carolina fan at the end of the first half, you thought to yourself, wow. North Carolina went 0 for 10 from beyond the arc and is still up by 11 at the half. They're not going to go, they're not going to miss all of their three pointers in a game. That's just not going to happen. Like if they keep taking them, they're going to make them. They went eight for 15 in the second half. And you just had a sense at the end of the first half, Syracuse gave their absolute best effort and it wasn't good enough and it wouldn't be good enough. And uh, I shared my favorite stat from the first game earlier, my favorite stat from the second game, which encompasses North Carolina's NCAA tournament run they have only trailed for 50 seconds total in the second half of NCAA tournament yeah. games. 50 no. seconds, less than a minute, North Carolina has been behind or even on the ropes against yeah. teams in the second half. They have a second gear unlike any other team in college basketball. Unfortunately for them, and we'll get to this in a minute, Villanova's first gear may be the best one in college basketball. Yeah, no, there's Carolina's ability to uh, put you down and bury you is really, really impressive, and that's no pun intended because I think Joel Berry is – is as important a part of North Carolina's game-turning play as as anyone has. And tonight, he could not have been better. He's a guy who went two consecutive games earlier this season without an assist, but 10 assists and one turnover tonight. Uh, he, he is 
been just the MVP of the ACC tournament, maybe even better in the NCAA tournament. He's been spectacular. Has not shot well, which is concerning for Carolina. Marcus Page, three for seven from three-point range. So he's now 16 for 34 from three in the NCAA tournament. Wow, he's turned his whole season around. And the balance that Carolina got from the front court, 16 and nine from Bryce Johnson, 15 and eight from Kennedy Meeks, who only missed two shots. And he was there were his own two misses that he got rebounds for, so effectively didn't miss a shot all game. And then Justin Jackson, 16 points uh, and only three rebounds. But, you know, another balanced effort by Carolina. Here's what Carolina does so well, and they've done all year, but really in the tournament they've gotten better at. They are incredibly well-balanced in their personnel talent-wise. They're, they get balanced inside and outside. They are deep. They are talented. They brought their third-string center, if you will, Joel James off the bench to give them four big points in the first half. They take care of the ball, 12 turnovers tonight, which is actually more than they've averaged for the whole season, and they kill you on the glass. They, out, they out-rebounded Syracuse, I think, by a dozen. So uh, just a very, very well-rounded team. And like you said, you know, Syracuse pushes it to seven. What does Carolina do? Three-pointer page, dunk Bryce Johnson, ball game over. You know, the same thing happened with Notre Dame. When they went up by one, Carolina scores the next 12 points, up by 11, game over. Indiana cut it down to 10 in the Sweet 16 a few times. Carolina runs away and hides. Providence, the same thing. Florida Gulf Coast down one at the half. Carolina blows them out. 20-3 to three run to start the second half. Every game that they've gotten even a, a hint of hearing footsteps from another team, they have just hit the accelerator and pulled away instantly. And, you know, that's not a strategy you want to rely on against Villanova, but Carolina, for a team that's going to have to face someone uh, that just won a game by 44 points, I heard Carolina opened as a two-point favorite. Not that we at all condone betting on this show. But uh, if you're Carolina, you could make a case that you're the underdog in this game, and I don't think it would be hard to make that case because of how well Villanova played. And Carolina has just very consistently won its games by big margins, but not anything like what Villanova did. So, um, so you know, two sort of somewhat forgettable national semifinal games, but let's talk now about the championship game matchup. Uh, Gardner, early impressions, Villanova against North Carolina. What will be the biggest key to the game for you? Yeah, uh, well, the first one that stands out to me, and uh, we didn't get as much information post-game about it, or at least I didn't, um, as you probably got on the broadcast, but I'm still worried about Daniel Oshepu's, uh health, and particularly against what will be the best front court that uh, they've matched up with, again, in this uh, NCAA tournament. I mean, Bryce Johnson, you listed him earlier, Bryce Johnson, Kennedy Meeks, Isaiah Hicks, even bringing Joel James off the bench. This is a really talented group. I mean, they've faced... Iowa, which has one really good player, and Jared Utah. They face Miami, which has Tony Jekery, which he's a good player, but not anywhere on the level of UNC's guys. Kansas has Perry Ellis. They totally locked him down, but he's a one-man operation. Oklahoma is a guard-oriented team. So if you're looking for a key for North Carolina in this game, I think it's to get those big guys going and to play inside out, which has been their key to success all season. I think that's going to give them an early edge here. And then you look at, you know, what Villanova's strength is, is their absolute lockdown defense. I think North Carolina will be one of the best offensive they've faced. I don't think a lot of people realize because of the attention that Buddy Heald got is that North Carolina actually has the number two offense in terms of adjusted efficiency yeah. uh, in the country. And so this is a really, really strong, actually number one now, I just looked at the updated stats. They're number one in adjusted offensive efficiency. This is a really, really strong offensive team. And I'm really looking forward to the chess match that's going to happen between Two great coaches in Roy Williams, who's already in the Hall of Fame, and Jay Wright, who's certainly looking like he's headed that way now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Ochefu because if he can't go or if he can't be uh, at full strength, 
we're talking about a Villanova team that really only has him as their as their big man uh, to battle Carolina's guys in the paint. And this is a Carolina team that wants to go inside first and foremost, wants to kill you on the glass, particularly the offensive glass. They, they get, you can look this up, but I think it's about 40% of their missed shots for the year, somewhere between 35 and 40%. Uh, they become offensive rebounds. If Ochefu is limited at all, I, I'm sure he'll play. You're not going to not play the national championship game, but he did look like he li- he was still limping even after he came back in with that ankle injury, and he had some foot and ankle problems down the stretch too uh, in, the, in the last weeks of the regular season in the Big East tournament. If he can't go, that puts all the more pressure on Chris Jenkins, Josh Hart, Ryan Archidiakono, and Jalen Brunson in particular uh, to carry the load. And, you know, this is – I don't know how much of a big deal this will be, uh, Villanova really plays about eight guys total. In a game they won by 44 points, they still had Jenkins and Hart play 30 minutes. I'm not sure why they necessarily did that, but Carolina is going to try and do what they always do, which is wear teams down. And Carolina's defense, other than Notre Dame in the Elite Eight, is the only team that's shot better than 45% against Carolina, I think, in this calendar year. And Villanova, as we know, coming off just a blistering performance and now four out of five times in the tournament they've shot uh, I still can't get over the fact that they've shot better in each of their first three games of the tournament than the dip against uh, Kansas when they were down to 40%, and then come back and shoot 71%. That's just so mind-blowing, I can't even wrap my head around it. But if they don't yeah. shoot, if they shoot under 45% against Carolina, I, I, they're going to have a hard time winning. But, my gosh, if they even give back 20% of the shooting that they did tonight, they'll still be over 50 So I just... That, that is some kind of offensive team that Jay Wright has built there, and um, it'll be really interesting to see. If there's a key player in the game from, let's say, both sides, we'll, we'll pick one other than Ochefu's health, uh, who would it be? Who's sort of the X factor for you? I know you've talked about Josh Hart being the X factor, and he was the best player on the floor for the Wildcats, 10 out of 12 against Oklahoma, 23 points, and made some circus shots. Uh, who would be your pick for both Villanova and North Carolina? Yeah, I'd start right there with Josh Hart on Villanova. Almost no question about it at this point. It is so interesting to me uh, getting to know Josh Hart a little bit during the season. We had him on Wooden Watch uh, early on in the season and then uh, have hung out with him a couple times here in Houston. He is perhaps the kindest person that I've ever interacted with at college basketball level. He's always smiling, always laughing. All his teammates seem to love him. He seems very lighthearted off the court. And then he has kind of a don't mess with me attitude when the ball drops and it's time to play. I mean, this guy really has another level. He has an edge to him on offense, particularly that is really hard for other people to match up with. He's kind of one of those tweener guys, a classic wing who is a guard who can rebound really well for his size and position. He finds himself around the ball. He can shoot the threes. He can get steals. He can kind of do everything. He just is the player that bothers you and you don't have a good matchup for him for most teams. I don't think that North Carolina has an ideal fit against him on offense or defense, and that's what he kind of does. He can post up guys. He can shoot from outside. And so I really like the way that he's able to create some matchup problems. On the other side, I really wonder if this is going to be another big game for Kennedy Meeks. It was kind of surprising and really strong first half for him. He showed again that he can hit that little soft 14-foot jumper against the 2-3 zone. He won't have that same kind of cushion that he can hit against Villanova, but I would imagine that uh, Daniel is going to be matched up primarily with Bryce Johnson and trying to slow him down. So ideally, if you've got a matchup between Kennedy Meeks and a guy like Chris Jenkins down low, that should be one that Kennedy is able to win nine times out of ten. And I'd be curious to see how much he is a factor in this game coming up. 
Yeah, it's going to be, you know, Kennedy Meeks was a guy that Carolina fans were totally ready to give up on um, just a couple weeks ago. He For the third season in a row, he's a junior. And for the third year in a row, he had sort of regressed noticeably. And people wondered, was he hurt? Was he not caring? Was he already planning on going to the NBA? Which, you know, I'm not sure would be a good idea, but we'll see. But in the right. last three games, 15-9 and nine against Indiana, 10-3 and three against Notre Dame, 15-8 and eight against Syracuse. He has turned his season around at exactly the right time, much like Marcus Page. And you're right, Bryce Johnson, who goes for 16-9 and nine against uh, Syracuse, and that was like the worst game he's had in a month. So right. if Villanova's banking on Bryce Johnson, you know, being able to shut him down the same way they've already shut one first-team All-American down in this Final Four, uh, they'll have to contend with, a, you know, trying to slow everybody else on Carolina's team down. So that should be an amazing thing. Um, you know, from the Villanova side, I wonder what exactly they're going to get from Chris Jenkins, who had a quiet 18 points, I thought, in this game. Um, <laughs> quiet because there were 95 points scored total. So it's hard to get, you know, yourself yeah. uh, too high up on the box score. No, but I mean, he's... all those points thrown around. Right, but he's arguably their most consistent player. I mean, he hasn't had a bad game kind of like Bryce Johnson, he hasn't had a bad game in, in at least a month, almost two months, in fact. If you go back and look at his game log, he hasn't scored in single digits since uh, playing St. John's back in mid-February. So uh, coming into the tournament, or, or coming into the Final Four, you know, he'd gone for 12, 15, 21, 13, pretty consistent, and then 18, and you're not even paying attention because Josh Hart was so ridiculously good and the, the total team effort was so good. But Jenkins is such an underrated player, um, and I know that Roy Williams knows him from having coached his uh, his sort of brother, Nate Britt. They, they were raised by the same uh, parents as uh, Nate Britt's parents were Chris Jenkins' legal guardian. So th these guys aren't going to be a surprise to Roy Williams or anything like that, but uh, you have to account for three or four guys on the perimeter at all times, and Jenkins has good size, 6'6", 240. He won't be afraid to put the ball on the floor and attack uh, it, it, I could see both these teams scoring in the 90s. It could be the highest scoring championship game we've had in a long time. Yeah, I think that's one thing that will really help out. I mean, these are two blue chip programs, and after a couple of uh, not disappointing for college basketball fans, certainly not disappointing for Villanova and UNC fans, but after some lackluster national semifinal games, hopefully we'll have a really exciting, really high-intensity, really dramatic national championship game. I've got a question uh, for you, Ted, about this uh what is potentially going to happen here if Roy Williams wins this national championship? Uh, I'm curious to see what you think will be the reaction from Carolina fans. Roy is a beloved figure, of course, but he has expressed reservations a couple times during this NCAA tournament because he's now passed Dean Smith, a number of uh, NCAA tournament wins to Carolina, and another national championship here would give him three to Dean yeah. Smith's two, would make him just the sixth coach in history to uh, pull off three national championships. What do you think the reaction is of the fan base? I know it's interesting that it makes Roy winning makes him uncomfortable in this certain respect because he so admired Dean Smith, who was his friend, his coach, his mentor. What do you think about that going into this game? Well, you, you forgot maybe the most important thing. He thinks of Dean Smith legitimately as a father figure. I mean, Roy yeah. quite, quite famously had a an alcoholic father who was not a big part of his life, um, and he didn't have a real family structure other than his mom and his sister. And when he got to Carolina, it's sort of a well-told tale. Dean Smith became his his real father figure, his mentor. I mean, Roy's a very independent person, but I think even he would admit that in sort of a, a moment of weakness. And he said something very nice and touching at, at Dean Smith's memorial last year in Chapel Hill that 
I attended. He said he never told Coach Smith he loved him, and he always regretted that. Um, mm. And and you could it, it's it felt almost like a son saying that about his father rather than a, a former assistant saying that about his old boss. He says all the time, "I'm not as good a coach as Dean Smith was. I'm not as good a person as he is." When he won his title in 2009, his second in five years, I thought you could make a legitimate case that Roy Williams was a better coach than Dean Smith, statistically, based on the numbers, not based on strategy or impact on society or anything like that, but statistically. But now, the intervening three years have not been that kind to Roy's overall record, and, and I don't think we'll make the, the mistake of saying that. But look at the list of coaches in those final fours. John Wooden, Mike Krzyzewski, Dean Smith, Roy Williams. Most NCAA tournament wins all time. Mike Krzyzewski, Dean Smith, Roy Williams. I mean, Roy Williams is the most underappreciated legendary coach in the history of the sport. Jim Beheim just played in his fifth Final Four in 40 years as a head coach. Roy Williams has been to more Final Fours than Beheim, Tom Izzo, Rick Pitino, Bill Self, Jim Calhoun. Take any coach you want other than Smith, Krzyzewski, and Wooden, and Roy Williams has been to this weekend more times than anybody. This is his fifth national championship game that ties Dean Smith. Uh... I don't know that Carolina people will ever think of anybody as being a better coach than Dean Smith, but they would certainly like to have the chance to have that debate if Roy Williams gets it done with number three. And by the way, that would be three in, what, the last 12 seasons for him? So Dean Smith right. had, Dean Smith probably had more teams that were capable of winning the national title but just weren't able to get it done, and Roy is trying to cash in a third championship in his fourth Final Four with the Tar Heels. And let's not forget, if Kansas had hit they shot 13 of 31 from the free throw line when they lost the 2003 championship game to Syracuse. If they even hit, you know, 18 of 31 in that game, they win. And we're talking about his fourth championship potentially on Monday night. So, uh, and Jay Wright, you know, another example. Jay Wright, 16 years, I think, at Villanova. Two Final Fours, great coach. As you said, maybe he's trending toward being a Hall of Famer. Two Final Fours. Roy Williams has been to eight. I mean, someone's yeah. got to start showing this guy a little bit of love. But uh, it's an interesting question you raise, and... um and, I, you know, one of the many subplots going into Monday night's game that I think will be great. And, you know, another one that, that we haven't talked about yet is for all the ups and downs of this college basketball season, we've had six teams ranked number one. Two of them are going to be playing for the championship on Monday night. I don't know if it's the two that I would have picked at any point during the season. Uh, if you told me pick two of these six teams that will be playing on Monday, I might have picked, you know, Kansas and Oklahoma or something like that. But. Villanova and Carolina. So at the end of the day, at the end of this crazy season and this crazy tournament, a couple of real uh, consistent powers all season long tipping off on Monday night. Do you like that, or do you wish we had seen a, a little more surprising final on Monday? No, I like it. I would like to see the cream at the top at the very end, like we talked about throughout this uh, throughout this year. I mean, this is what you want at the end. You don't really want Cinderella to have lasted. You know, it's really, it's past midnight for Cinderella yeah. at this point. It's time to get the big boys out and to win this championship and to give it to the best team uh, this season. And really, uh, Kansas has had stretches where they were on top, Oklahoma, Michigan State, of course. And we complain sometimes that the NCAA tournament doesn't always award the best team its national championship. But it'd be hard to argue against North Carolina or Villanova as the best team in college basketball at the end of the season. Certainly Oklahoma has eliminated itself with the way Villanova dismantled them. Villanova, uh, Kansas gave them a stronger game than that, but North Carolina and Villanova deserve to be here. They have absolutely dispatched their opponents so far to this point. Yep. And I hope that this isn't a one-sided affair. One more thing that I wanted to bring up about, you know, we were talking about North Carolina fans. Uh, I think that this is probably – 
one of the most critical national championship games if you're a North Carolina fan because you win this one and you move ahead again of Duke in terms of total national championships. You're tied at five now. This brings you up to six and would put you ahead of those guys from that little university about two miles down the road. That little school affectionately known as the University of New Jersey at Durham. Oh, wow. Well, I've heard it called that. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I'll say this. First of all, every Carolina fan is well aware of that fact, especially because Duke is bringing in a team that is loaded next season. So you better get ahead of them. You might only get the one year. Yeah, if you're Carolina. But, you know, I've hesitated to bring this stat up because Carolina has another game to win, but it's worth mentioning since you mentioned it. How many – this is – well, you may not know, so I'll just say it. If Carolina wins, it would be the third time – that Duke and Carolina have traded the national championship back and forth. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. Uh, that's not to take anything away from Villanova, which, you know, is looking to win a title for the second time in school history. And by the way, you know, we've talked about the Ken Pomeroy rankings a lot, and there's been a lot of fluctuation during the tournament, as you might expect. It continues to be updated. The number one overall team in Villanova, or the number two, number one and two overall teams are Villanova and North Carolina. Villanova number one going into this game. North Carolina, number two. Villanova, according to the the maven that is Ken Pomeroy, is the best team in the country going into Monday night, and they will play the second best team in the country in Monday night. You can't get a better matchup. Forget about what the AP rankings said at the end of the year. Forget about what the tournament seeding said at the beginning of the tournament. As far as Monday night goes, these are the two best teams in the country, and that's who we get Whichever one wins deserves to be called national champion, deserves to say we were the best team in college basketball in 2016. Uh, I think it's going to be great. I can't wait for it. I'm looking forward to it, too. And you brought up Ken Palm, too. One interesting thing. Villanova is number one on KenPom.com, but it is a very, very close game. Uh, He gives percentages for every uh, game, and he gives Villanova a 56% chance of winning this one. So despite the fact that it's one versus two, it is a very, very close okay. game, and hopefully that uh, translates to the court. All right, give me. Let's do picks because you know we've come this far doing it. You picked Villanova to win in the semis. I did not. I picked North Carolina to win in the semis. So you got your pick right. I got my pick right. Who do you want to take for the championship game? Uh, I think we're going to split again uh, because we've made that promise to our listeners, our many, many listeners. Uh, there are literally dozens of them, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, uh, so I'm, I have a, I have a little feeling, Ted, that you're going to go with North Carolina, which works out well because uh, I'm taking Villanova in this one. I know the matchup doesn't look good for them on paper, but we've seen this play out a few times. Villanova is just playing with the most confidence right now. Their defense, they feel like they can beat anyone with it. And if they have a shooting night that even approaches what they were able to do in this game, I think they'll be able to match up with North Carolina. I think that they'll have to get a couple of breaks, you know, another bad shooting night from North Carolina from beyond the arc. But at this point in the season, you kind of need a little break or two from the other team. You can't just win the game all based on totally manhandling someone unless you're Villanova in the, against Oklahoma in the national semifinal. So uh, I look for Villanova to win this one for Jay Wright to get his first national championship after 15 years. Well, all right, I'm going to take North Carolina then, and not just because we're we're – promised to split i picked north carolina in my bracket before the tournament began i've picked them you know online when uh we've asked for our predictions and here on the podcast as well so i'll stick with them uh i still like michigan state actually can i set can i set that out my pre my pre uh tournament pick i uh, think michigan state still yeah, got go. a chance here on Monday I, didn't, night. I didn't want to throw you under the bus but 
<laughs> I, I don't like the Spartans' chances on Monday. That's all I'll say. Okay. We'll um, agree to disagree. We'll agree, agree to disagree. Uh, I think that Carolina, for all the reasons that we've talked about, improved team defense, improved three-point shooting, although, you know, struggled in the first half, but then uh, four for seven in the second half from three. Uh, taking care of the ball, improved play from Joel Berry. Bryce Johnson, uh, you know, the best big man who's going to be on the court, certainly on uh, on Monday night, the potential of Ochefu not looking good, and uh, the fact that Carolina's ability to flip a switch when it has to, um, it gives me enough reason to think that the Tar Heels are going to win. Roy Williams has talked about them being on a mission and being incredibly focused. I think Villanova is just as focused as North Carolina is, if not more so. Um, so I, I'm not – I don't – you know, give a lot of weight to any of those things. But if you look on the court, Carolina has size, depth, talent, experience. And it wouldn't surprise me if Villanova won. I think North Carolina will win. What will surprise me is if we get a blowout. I think this is finally going to be a close game. And the one thing that Carolina has to worry about in some respects, Villanova has already beaten Kansas and Oklahoma. North Carolina's best win in this tournament came against an Indiana team that was missing one of its starters, uh, during the tournament, a second starter who was hurt earlier in the year, and James Blackman, another player who was injured, uh, had been injured in the win over Kentucky. So there hasn't really been a, a team that could compete with Carolina from a talent standpoint yet in this field, and that's what they're going to get for the first time on Monday. Villanova's already had tests like that and passed them with flying colors, so Carolina's got to step its game up and play better than it has uh, to get to Monday night if they want to win on Monday night. I think they will, but uh, it's not going to be a blowout like they've had five times already in this tournament. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. The only sad thing about Monday is that come Tuesday, it is a long, cold, <laughs> dark off season until it we get college basketball back again in November. That's right. So enjoy it. You know, I hope you guys uh, out there are going to pay a little bit of attention to the women's final four. That game ends on Tuesday and congratulations to Columbia, the half of our, Edit brethren here at SI who have Columbia Graduate Journalism School degrees can celebrate the CIT title that they won. Yeah. Um, congrats to uh, George Washington, which won the NIT. We have a a, a George couple of George Washington grads in the office. I for, I actually saw this on TV the other day, but I forgot to see the winner of Moorhead State against I can't even remember in the college uh, CBI tournament. I think it was. Um, so yeah, you're right. We've had these sort of other tournaments operating in the background but the real big one the one that people care about uh, oh i guess nevada won the cbi so good for them um, 85 82 i'm surprised you weren't glued to the tv for I, that one, I was Ted. gonna my, my wife gave me the look like if you put this game on right now you are you are <laughs> sick and you need therapy so she'll, she'll let me watch the game on monday night the true capper to a great season of college basketball villanova and north carolina tips at 9 19 p.m eastern time on tbs david gardner and a host of others from sports illustrated will be there and then we'll be back with our final, I think, maybe, Tourney Talk podcast uh, of the tournament that night. Uh, if you want to reach us on Twitter, I'm at SI underscore Ted Keith. And I am at by David Gardner. So let us know uh, what you think and who you think is going to win Monday's national championship game between the Villanova Wildcats and the North Carolina Tar Heels. Gardner, thanks for uh, calling in. I hope you get a little bit of sleep tonight and enjoy the day off. Uh, between games, and then uh, we'll talk to you on Monday for the uh, title game. No days off at this time. We're in postseason at Sports Illustrated, as you know, Ted, but we're looking forward to uh, the stretch run here. All right. That's, uh, that's all we got on Tourney Talk this time. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in a couple of days. Enjoy Villanova against North Carolina. We'll see you Monday.